and as of now, we know that certain countries continue to buy oil from Russia. If you're not going to get 100% cooperation, there's still going to be an international market price. This just won't work, and it could mm-hmm. backfire in a number of ways as well. Friendshoring, that seems to be the latest buzzword, doesn't it? She was talking about friendshoring, which I presume means doing business with your friends and, and not with your enemies. That's right. So uh, you know, often we hear the United States policymakers say, come back to the United States, put a, put a factory in the United States. Or, for example, uh, Samsung and TSMC in the semiconductor space have agreed to build facilities, large facilities in the United States in recent years. Uh, but, but some of that, yeah, instead of saying, oh, bring everything back to the U.S., which, well, maybe uh, Japan or, or Canada or other countries who are friendly with the U.S. wouldn't be a fan of, we focus on uh, getting factories and manufacturing to move from China to friendly countries uh, in Asia or South America, for example. Uh, but again, though, it just shows how, how, how packed her agenda was within a couple of days stops in each of these countries. I wouldn't be very optimistic of significant mm-hmm. initiatives coming out of that. And when she mentions that, I think a lot of people are going to say, isn't that the Commerce Secretary's job? Isn't that mm-hmm. what Secretary Raimondo talks about? Why are you, the Treasury Secretary, talking about this? Okay, Ross, thanks very much. Sadly, we've run out of time. That's Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at SafePro Group in Taipei. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. Quick skip around Asia-Pacific markets. The ASX 200 in Australia still flat. Uh, Nikkei 225 in Japan also flat now. The Cosby, though, is down about a third of a percent. Uh, looks like the Hang Seng is going to fall about 120 points at the open. Thank you very much for listening this morning. Do please join me again tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock. News coming up next, followed by back chats with Janice Wong and Paul Zimmerman this morning. The weather forecast mainly fine, very hot once again. That very hot weather warning still in force. Maximum temperature about 34 degrees. High temperatures are going to persist into the middle and latter parts of next week and then a few showers uh, this Friday and Saturday. Temperature right now, it's 29 degrees, 81% relative humidity. Times 8.32, here's Andy Shirosky with the Half Hour News. Thank you, Peter. A patient's concern group says hundreds of people could be affected each day if the hospital authority cuts back on non-emergency services. The authority has warned that services might be adjusted as more COVID patients are admitted. Alex Lam from Hong Kong Patients Voices told RTHK that he hoped services could be reduced gradually rather than stopped overnight. He called on the authorities to reopen designated facilities for COVID patients. Of 3,000 daily is really a concern because even two years ago, we don't have this figure, but we suspended most of the services in, in HA. So now we have this number of people admitted to hospital. We have to think about whether we should reopen certain designated places for putting these people for visiting the service, including those near the border in Qingyi or other places, Lantau, say for example, to house these patients. Many candidates sitting university entrance exams this year believe their performance suffered because of COVID-19. That's according to a survey by the Hong Kong Federation of Youth Groups of nearly 600 Diploma of Secondary Education, or DSC, candidates. More than 60% said the pandemic had affected their preparations. Ken Hoy from the Federation explained how the disruption of face-to-face classes was bad for pupils. They need to accustom to the lesson online and also physical. 
fluctuate quite frequently. That may affect their learning motivation and how far they learn. And for some science students, they never come to the lab for the science lesson for this uh, academic year. That affect their learning to quite a large extent. And the shorten of the examination schedule also affect their preparation too. The Immigration Department says more than 900,000 Hong Kong SAR passports have expired without being renewed since 2020, and it's calling on people to renew soon. The department's assistant director, Fan Hu Singh, said that with many countries relaxing entry rules, people planning to travel should pay attention to the date on their passport. Mr. Fan said two vehicles would be touring around the city until early September to help people apply for or renew their passports. More than 2,000 firefighters in Portugal are battling dozens of blazes as temperatures broke records in various parts of the country. The Prime Minister, Antonio Costa, tweeted that Portugal was approaching a period of maximum fire risk on many fronts. The BBC's Alison Roberts reports from Lisbon. The worst of the fires have been in Leiria district, where 600 people were forced from their homes amid scenes that recalled the deadly fires of 2017. In that part of central Portugal alone, almost a 1,000 firefighters were in action today. In the normally cooler far north in Monsão, temperatures soared to almost 43 degrees Celsius against a July average maximum of 26. The weather station there was among six places that saw all-time highs. The news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and my co-host today is Paul Zimmerman. Good morning, Paul. Morning, Janice. On today's Back Chat, we're talking about the merger of City Bus and New World First Bus, which was approved by the Executive Council earlier this week. Under the plan, the two public transport operators will become a single company as part of a 10-year franchise renewal by the government. The new franchise will run from July next year until 2033. And according to a government spokesman, the merger will not affect fares for current routes. So what do you think? Will the merger benefit passengers or not? And what impact will it have on public transport development? After 9.15, we'll speak to an astrophysicist about the latest images captured by the James Webb Telescope. Let us know your thoughts, your questions and your comments on our Facebook page, Backchat at RTHK Radio 3. You can email us at backchat at rthk.hk or you can call us, of course, and our number is 23388266. That's 23388266. Now let's welcome our first guest this morning and he's Richard Hall, the Chief Operating Officer of Bravo Transport, which owns City Bus and New World First Bus. Good morning, Mr. Hall. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. So, um, in a nutshell, what will this merger mean for passengers of uh, City Bus and New World First Bus? Well, I think the key thing that's going to come out of it is that we're going to be recognised as one brand across uh, Hong Kong, and that's a really, really key thing, because actually um, the two companies started operating together back in 2004 when uh, City Bus actually assumed responsibility for a lot of the back office and management functions. So it's going to give us a, a really focal point um, as a brand, consistent customer messaging, consistent employer uh, employee messaging. So that's, that's a really positive thing, I think, for customers. But, but you guys are losing money uh, and have been losing money for a long time. The two bus companies combined in COVID didn't help. I mean, how are you going to address your losses? Well, we're, we're addressing 
cutting our losses uh, all the time. Um, you know, we've worked really closely uh, with the government um, through the whole pandemic, but particularly during the fifth wave, um, looking at, you know, how we restructure services based on uh, not only COVID demand, but predicted demand post-COVID. And that's actually something that every single public transport operator globally has to do. Um, and, you know, rebasing our losses is looking back um, over the last sort of 20 years and saying, you know, how has the railway affected our business? How does our business need to be not only today, but in the next 5, 10, 15 years um, to provide services, you know, as districts change, you know, retail changes, housing changes. You know, we, we have to be agile. We have to adapt. And if we don't, you know, um, you know, we, we just stand still. Yeah, but I find it very brave that uh, uh, a brave Bravo uh, to uh, to come in and, and take over these bus companies when it's so hard to operate them and profitably in Hong Kong. Uh, you know, brave's an interesting uh, uh, summary of how it might look. And uh, you know, what we see in Hong Kong, you know, um, our, our whole organisation, our shareholders, our CEO Adam Leishman, um, you know, we see the opportunity in that. What what we see is a public transport system that you know was absolutely vibrant in the 1980s the 1990s you know city bus was an innovator um really sort of drove forward you know air-conditioned buses all these types of things um we've seen that you know if you look back in history that's trailed off you know during the 2000s as the railways expanded the pandemic you know as i said globally has had this huge impact so we actually see this opportunity um, you know, when we're looking at the government's uh, plan for decarbonisation for Hong Kong, moving to 2050, getting people out of cars, getting them on public transport, whatever mode, actually doesn't matter at this stage because, you know, they start using one mode of public transport, they transfer into other modes. And that's the opportunity that faces us, increasing ridership, increasing revenues and building sustainable public transport systems. Sure, but, uh, you know, I'm a district councillor and, uh, and, and the bus companies and the transport department regularly come and visit us uh, to, uh, to explain uh, the changes in bus routes and how they're going to... Basically, most of those changes that they propose are, are cost-cutting exercises. And we give you a lot of trouble because our residents give you a lot of trouble or give us a lot of trouble. Uh, I mean, it's, it's very sticky. It's, it's difficult to make these changes. It is difficult to make these changes, and I, and I think, you know, that's where everybody needs to look at it holistically, um, because, you know, I mean, there's a very simple way, you know, you continue operating the levels of service that have been run for many, many years, and as I said, you know, the island has changed, you know, specifically on Hong Kong Island. Um, you know, there's always this sort of demand, and you, you'll, you'll know that yourself, um, you know, being involved with district councils, um, you know, there's that sort of public uh, argument, you know, I want the bus because I need it to take me to this place on this day. Um, but you actually have to look at overall patronage. You have to really sort of think about, you know, what does a modern bus service look like? And that's the key thing coming out of it. So and, what's and, a modern bus service look like? Well, a modern bus service is driven by its customers' needs. And, you know, it's about building frequent core corridors, you know, from interchange hubs. So the historic bus service in, in most major cities, Hong Kong is no different, so London, point to point. Uh, you know, where, you know, bus services have grown organically um, mm. as the cities have grown. And, and actually, what that results in is lots of duplication, lots of routes going along common corridors, coming from similar destinations, you know, like South Island or Western Island, etc. A 
a modern bus service brings you know the the, the, the legs almost into hubs, and then the hubs develop deliver core services that operate you know in, in in the main corridors on the island. So should we back to this interchange idea? I mean, but government has looked at that and they've actually stopped that. We're supposed to get a big interchange at Victoria Park and it hasn't gone ahead. I mean, there's ideas for having big interchanges and get, minimise the bus routes between them or the buses between them uh, has been yeah, an I old mean, one and it hasn't proceeded. Why, why do you think you can get that moving? Well, we're already starting to do it and, um, you know, the railway uh, significantly and successfully uh, uses the interchange model, um, you know, when it crosses lines. Uh, bus services do that. Um, it's, a, it's a plan that's actually been followed in London over the last three or four years, um, and it's still evolving. Um, we're already starting to do it, where, you know, we're bringing in services from the new territories that interconnect with services on the island, you know, rather than coming all the way and running running to sort of the end of the Western Island, you know, etc. And it's about making interchange seamless um, and easy to use. And that's two things. That's about the bus, it's about the interchange facility, and it's about ticketing. Um, and if you look if you look at the new exhibition centre that's uh, opened only a few weeks ago, that's, you know, the start of that, that, that way of working in the future, you know. And, and as new bus stations open, new bus rail interchanges open, you know, that's a real opportunity in the okay. future. Well, we have some more speakers on uh, coming on, on, on the board, but I have a specific question. I mean, one thing that irritates me a lot in Hong Kong is that these bus interchanges and the bus stops have these little plastic cubicles with uh, water bottles standing outside, and everything is rickety. Even, even the brand-new ones are kind of done up rickety. I mean, what are you guys going to do to make sure that our bus stops and bus interchanges are going to look like modern facilities with you know, proper kiosk for your, uh, for your bus uh, um, drivers and, and making sure that they properly Properly designed for for uh, for passengers, and how do you get the extra revenue out of those interchanges to make sure that uh, you have non-fair revenue? Yeah, I mean, Paul, you're you're absolutely right, and, and and that's something that's you know, particularly if you're a visitor, I think you know, and if we're looking to attract people from other modes, that's something that's very negative about buses, you know, um, and and that's one of our key priorities um, in this franchise renewal. We really want to start changing the way we display information, changing the way we display bus stop poles, improving these uh, bus interchanges. Our staff facilities are absolutely key. You know, I mean, you know, when, when we came over here and we saw the level of staff facilities, you know, that's become a priority for us. And, you know, we've already started to renew and up from now to the end of 2024, we will replace all of our bus staff kiosks and facilities uh, interchanges. You know, that's that's a commitment we've given to our staff, which is absolutely key for them to deliver better service. In terms of the customer, you know, the interchange, you know, we, we want to try and monetize these, these interchanges in some way, and we've been talking to the government for some time around that, you know, as have other franchise bus operators. Um, and, and monetizing these areas is not always easy because of locations and, you know, uh, you know space constraints, etc. But Minimal monetization, you know, can, you know, drive senses of feelings of security. Um, it brings in, as you said, non-fair box revenue that supports uh, security in these areas, better cleaning, better presentation. And, and that's very much our vision. And we think we can achieve that. All right.
that. Uh, Mr. Hall, let's uh, go back to the uh, actual merger for a moment. Um, earlier, the uh, government uh, the government spokesman said the merger will not affect the fares for current bus routes. Uh, but what about new ones? Is it likely that fares will be set at a higher rate when uh, compared to uh, existing ones? Well, at that point, the point of merger, um, you know, there's no impact on fares on day one, you know, as a result of the merger. But fares are very much a separate thing. Then they're not linked to the merger. And, you know, fares have to go up. You know, Paul was noting about the need to improve infrastructure. You know, fares do drive things like that. You can't invest in infrastructure without fare box revenue. We can't improve payments for, for our staff without increases in fare box revenue. And, and fare box revenue directly covers all our operating costs. Staff costs about between 60 and 66% always. We've got fuel, you know, another major cost, you know, that's, you know, between 25 and 30% um, and other indirect costs, you know. So um, fares are directly linked to the operating costs and inflation, you know, and, um, you know, fares need to go up proportionately with, with, with inflation to cover increases in operating costs and to ensure that we're not only generating a reasonable rate of return for future investment. All right. What about um, staff salaries then? Will that uh, um, be uh, affected? Staff salaries? Um, yeah. What, in the future? Or yes. No? Mm. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, we have, we have to reward our staff. Our staff have stood by us immensely during the last two years in the pandemic, as have staff in many other industries. Um, and, you know, as we come out of the pandemic now, they're all being hit with inflation. So, so we need to raise those revenues to increase staff salaries through Fairbox revenue. Yeah, I'm just asking because uh, Kowloon Motorbus and Longwind Bus have just announced a pay rise of 3.5% uh, for all its staff. Um, are, you, are you confident that your staff will stay? I mean, since some of them are not too happy with uh, the merger. Uh, um, you know, actually, uh, I think that's you know a very generalistic comment. Uh, you know, we, we've been doing staff briefings uh, all week since... Uh, you know, Tuesday when the merger was announced and actually, you know, we've got very good dialogue uh, with our office and colleagues and with our frontline workers and, you know, the market for public transport workers is actually really tough in Hong Kong. Um, Hong Kong, you know, suffers from low unemployment, which is a, a great a great thing. Um, you, you heard us speak already about, you know, young people moving out to the new territories. Um, so getting the right rate for the job getting the right locations for our operating centres, um, you know, is absolutely key. So would you say most of your staff are happy with the merger then? Yeah, uh, absolutely. I mean, we, we've uh, been speaking to our, you know, left-wing union leaders, our JCC, our Joint Consultative Committee, which is an employee-structured uh, organisation. Um, and, you know, when, when, we, when we go to them, they are excited about the future because we are saying to them, you know, we're going to improve these facilities. We've already got a big campaign going on um, in some of our garage sites, refurbishing them internally, um, and our staff are directly involved in that, you know, that they're, they're mm. owning that change. But can you expect a, a, a pay rise uh, soon from you? Well, um, you know, pay rises, as we said last night, um, you know, that's something we review on an annual basis. So... Um, our next annual review date for pay is in December uh, with a commencement date for January. So we will sit down with our employees and with our employee representatives as per normal and discuss that with them. 
All right, uh, Mr. Hall, I know you have to go now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Richard Hall, the Chief Operating Officer of Bravo Transport. Now to continue with our discussion on the merger, we're joined by Alok Jain, the CEO and Managing Director of TransConsult Limited. And uh, we also have Ben Hon, the Chairman of uh, the Public Transport Research Team. Good morning to the both of you. Good morning, Mario. And thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so Richard Hall from Bravo Transport just said uh, it's uh, the merger is good news for passengers. Mr. Jane, is the merger good news for passengers? Well, in, in that sense, merger does not really affect much on the passenger side because I think on the street, nothing fundamentally changes as such. What it does is that it allows the bus company to rationalize the resources of deployment of drivers, the buses. So it's going to, of course, reduce a lot of cost of operation. But I don't think there is any immediate or imminent changes in the route structure. And, and as Richard just mentioned earlier, the bus companies have been operating under the same umbrella since 2004. And they have been planning their routes uh, kind of in tandem. Uh, both City Bus and New World First Bus, and I think they will continue to do so even after the merger. So it doesn't really make big changes uh, as such, but obviously uh, it synchronizes a lot of, uh, I would say, duplications, and it gives them a lot of opportunities to cross-deploy some of the resources. So so he can cut a little bit of cost out of it, but can he really cut the cost that he needs to to become profitable? Because, I mean, he's taken over two loss-making enterprises, especially in the last few years. Yes, but I, I don't know how much they can cut, and it all depends on, as you, Paul, you, you are a district councillor, you know that very well. I know how uh, difficult you know, my colleagues make it for any, any changes yeah. in bus routes. So it, exactly how much it will be, it's hard to say, but, but you can see that there are a number of routes where City Bus and, um, and New World Bus Bus used to kind of duplicate. I mean, you look at Shatin, Maonshan, there are a lot of duplicated cross-harbor routes here, and there is an opportunity to rationalize them into one. And there are times when, you know, you see empty buses from New World coming back to, to Shatin, whereas another empty bus from City Bus moving from one end to the other. So, you know, these kind of rationalizations are going to happen. And, and I, again, without seeing the schedule, difficult to, for me to make an assessment of how many buses they are going to save. But it is going to indeed re- result in a substantial cost saving uh, in terms of operational costs. But his, his plan to put in uh, getting these interchanges going, you mean it's an old plan and, and government and the bus companies have looked at it for a long, a long time and, uh, you know, we were supposed to get all these large interchanges and, and how much of that has really happened uh, because there was a lot of resistance from, uh, from bus uh, travellers and from, uh, uh, from the district councillors and government has been holding back on them. So what is, what is the opportunity for Bravo to really significantly reduce their costs improve efficiencies? Marginally. I mean, as far as the interchanges are concerned, we have been pushing, or the bus industry have been pushing that for a long, long time. I was involved with putting the Tun Moon interchange and um, a number of other interchanges on paneling, um, as well as cross-harbor interchanges, um, the Route 8 interchange. But anyway, now it, it is a difficult process. It requires a lot of uh, ex, you know, consultation. It requires a lot of pricing adjustments. I'm not sure to what extent they can do. But, you know, he gave an example of exhibition, new exhibition center. And again, my comment is 
I have seen that particular interchange. That is not really an ideal interchange. You go there on a rainy day or a very hot summer day when you get out of the MTR station and you have to wait 15 minutes out in the street. That's not a pleasant environment for you to interchange. And certainly, if we are going to go for that kind of a model as an interchange hubs, uh, I doubt it is going to work or be very successful. All right. So let's go to uh, Mr. Hon for a moment. Mr. Hon. Uh, hello. Hi. Yeah. I know you've been doing some uh, initial some research into this merger. What have you found? Um, first, we, uh, we're not that satisfied to the results of the mergers of two franchises. Um, in our side, it is a somehow a policy way back from 1993. Um, since the number 26 of in 1993, the franchise bus market has strengthened is uh, competitive and brought out a series of surface improvement. It is clear that the public transportation market has to allow more competitors to stimulate the power of the of market competition, which means the market shares should not only be controlled by single giant operators, but also have to share by several medium-sized operators, regrettably, and not be realized in the end. But um, as as the, as uh, as, pre- uh, as previous um, as previous uh, uh, as our as other uh, as as other um, other speakers commenters yep. to uh, to uh, has mentioned the first change uh, the 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 promises of the battle about the bus interchange network uh, and the rationalize of the uh, bus route uh, we have we, we have to we have to point out that, uh, point out that uh, it would it, uh, it is it is not a it is will poss- it will possibly uh, provide a better service network for the operators but we have but and but but we have to but but it is but but, but we have to point out that, that point point out another point out, on the other hand we have to point out that the, the network would uh, the network would not. Uh, so you're looking at from the from the are you looking at it from the uh, the bus passenger point of view? I mean, what is your angle on this? Are you representing bus passengers or are you, 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 what is your bus passengers? Your bus passengers. You're supporting bus passengers. Yeah. Um, so interchanges are bad so for bus passengers. Because of it is because of the, um, the the those bus interchange network improvements. Um, it may uh, it may uh, affect in uh, some district only. Yeah, I know. I, I understand it. So in, my, in, my passengers in many, and my, uh, in, my, in my uh, residents will be. Yeah. Especially in the side of operator. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, you're worried. You're worried that the uh, the surface to passengers comes down. But uh, I, I, do you think we really can improve surface to passengers if we're going to have more bus companies? I mean, they're already losing money uh, as one operator. And if you get more inefficiencies in the market, have more operators. I mean, how's anybody going to make any money? Then how is anybody going to give any good service? Can I answer uh, that one? Bus interchange, bus interchange network itself is 
the the nature of the nature of the network bus interchange plan or bus interchange network is for the uh, is for is is for the uh, bus uh, for the passengers who who previously kept could not use uh, use uh, use the service direct uh, directly to a specific area, um, such as um, as mentioned in uh, those in two interchange. Uh, Timur bus interchange. Uh, the the uh, people uh, who live who, who living in uh, Timur Pier or uh, uh, of uh, uh, or the west, uh, southwestern part of the Timur, not directly. Uh, uh, they haven't. They have not. They have not uh, direct service to Shatin or. Uh, or, or other, or, uh, or other areas such as, uh, maybe in, uh, in non, in, in non, what, non, okay. In, 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 uh, in, in not, uh, not for daily services. And those, uh, the, the bus interchange, the bus interchange, uh, stop, uh, the only, all right, uh, all right, Mr. Han, and maybe we can continue uh, with this uh, after the news because we have to take a break very shortly. And uh, I know, uh, Mr. Okay. Jane, you also have uh, some comments you want to make. Uh, maybe we can do that uh, after the news. Um, all right, sure. so uh, Mr. Jane and Mr. Han, uh, we'll uh, continue our discussion in around uh, three minutes' time when uh, we will be also joined by Professor Stephen Chung, the uh, chairman of the Transport Advisory Committee. And uh, just a reminder that after 9.15, we will be speaking speaking to an astrophysicist who will tell us more about the new images captured by the James Webb Telescope. Mm. Now, if you want to ask questions or just share your views on today's topics, remember you can call us or our number is 233-88266. And um, a quick look at the weather. Um, it will be mainly fine apart from isolated showers. The very hot weather warning is in force. Highs expected today of around 34 degrees. Winds light to moderate southeasterlies and uh, the outlook there will be a few showers on friday and saturday and uh, right now uh, the temperature reading at the observatory is 29 degrees and the relative humidity is right now at the observatory around uh, oh it's 79 uh, percent Spokesperson said the report was a violation of legal justice and stressed that the SAR's prosecutorial decisions are made based on law. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Thursday morning with Paul Zimmerman and me, Janice Wong. If you're just tuning in now, we're talking about the merger of City Bus and New World First Bus this morning. If you want to ask questions or share your views, remember you can email us at backchat at rchk.hk or call us on 233-88266. We'd love to hear from you. Still with us on the program is Alok Jain, the CEO and Managing Director of TransConsult Limited. Also joining us now is Professor Stephen Chung the chairman of the Transport Advisory Committee. Good morning, Professor Chung. 
morning. Thanks for joining us on uh, the program this morning. And uh, earlier on the program, we, we heard uh, from Alec Jane. He was talking about how uh, the merger won't really affect passengers too much. Uh, first of all, what's your view on the merger? Uh, we, uh, the, the way we look at uh, the mergers, uh, we actually the two companies are running under one holding company, so meaning that they are the same boss. Uh, with the merger, the way I look at it is, uh, we hope that I hope that it will uh, one plus one is going to be bigger than two, in a way that uh, the merger can, could generate some synergy effect. And we are hoping that this synergy effect uh, generated from the merger should be used in raising the service standard that will benefit the public as a whole. So, Professor, these, these bus companies have been losing money, and uh, if, so, if an investor like Bravo comes in, these, they, they need to make improvements, either you know, raise fares or cut bus routes and cut staff costs, uh, uh, or otherwise find ways of non-fare revenue and find improvements. I mean, how's the, the uh, Transport Advisory Committee going to help uh, Bravo to actually make sure that they have a sustainable operation? You see, they have launched a couple, uh, some new initiatives, uh, such as upgrading the bus feet, the feet of the bus. Oh, that's uh, cost that money. Make sure, that makes sure they are all environmental friendly, uh, zero carbon emission, electric or hydrogen uh, mm. buses. So these are the new initiatives. Uh, make sure the, uh, you know the bus are more uh, environmental friendly. And the things that you mentioned about uh, the synergy effect cause, cause effectiveness, that will be the way that to ensure this, uh, the bus company can have a sustainable operation. But we are, we are mindful that uh, the environment right now we are facing, particularly the, the pandemic situation, is not helping uh, with the reduction of in, in the number of passengers. And uh, sometimes we see some uh, empty buses, a few empty buses, uh, running on the road, so I think they have to look at the bus route in a holistic manner to see how they can, at the same time, you know, uh, run a more cost-effective uh, surface. At the same time, we'll be more environmental friendly and to be more sustainable. So Richard Hall of uh, the Bravo company and Alec Jane have made points about the uh, the interchanges and the design of the interchanges, the availability yep. of the interchanges, making sure that our interchanges are not like what we have just built at the exhibition uh, station. There's a bunch of uh, you know metal canopy standing in the street where everybody's going to get wet waiting for the bus. I mean, mm -hmm. how, how is the Transport Advisory Committee going to make sure the government is going to design proper interchanges? With, which are attractive for people to go and use the bus. Oh, that's a oh, well, point of well taken. And then uh, we understand that people, uh, the commuter that use the bus service, are a bit different from the commuter using other public services. Oh, so they can stand out in the rain? or? <laughs> oh, no, they won't stand out in the rain. Well, they are at the uh, exhibition station. I mean, you know, a transport advisory committee has allowed government to design the exhibition station interchange for the buses, which is horrible. Well, we hope that, you know, the service quality will go up uh, with the merger. Yeah, but and I mean, then, if you have to uh, send in the rain under small canopies at front of the exhibition station, I mean, that's not a really uh, good service. I mean, Paul's a well-taken. Uh, we, we're going to uh, refer uh, your comments 
to the transport department to see what kind of uh, arrangement, what kind of uh, improvement could be made. And it's uh, not um, and it's not just uh, Paul's comment. Uh, we have an email here from Colin, and he says um, we'll only see improvements when the chief executive and legislators and other related people are forced to use buses and experience the hell we go through. That uh, emails from Colin. Well, I'm living in the new territory uh, within the industrial area of Taipo. I understand that you know uh, the bus uh, the bus service is actually provide service to people very different from people living on the islands. So uh, I understand the quality of bus. Uh, the bus service is, is quite vital for those people living in the new territory exactly. who can only rely on the bus service. So the quality, the service quality, is actually a prime objective uh, for the transport of our community to examine and then, uh, well, another, another comment... Uh, yeah, but Stephen, may you know, if, if, if people are dependent on the bus and there's no alternative, you don't have to give them good service. You can just got to give them a bus, bus oh, no, seat and they'll get, they'll get to right the point. Well, I mean, I mean, they'll, you are not right. I mean, both are important. We'll I mean, have to attract... Policy, hmm. I mean, part the waiting time, the bus hmm. fare, hmm. But these are important considerations. Uh, one area, Paul, uh, I think which you raised earlier is a modern bus service. And I think that needs to be brought back. Are we really running a modern bus service in Hong Kong? And my answer is no. The reliance on technology is, is extremely, we are far behind what people have been doing all around the world. And I think that is an opportunity nobody wants to explore. We are still the traditional, you know, siloed thinking about buses. It's all about bus driver route. You know, we are not looking at flexible services, on-demand services. There's so many cities around the world which are now starting to do these flexible services, dynamic deployment uh, of, the, of the resources, and trying to generate more revenue, overall revenue from the system. And I think revenue actually comes not just by increasing fare. Revenue comes by increased usage. And increased usage of customer only happens when you provide a good quality customer-oriented service. The discussion, unfortunately, throughout, you know, from the Richard all the way, we are focusing a lot about operational side of the buses, you know. So, as I said, merger is not really about, you know, the company's merger. That's a very administrative tool, but it has to translate into a modern bus service in the, on the street for people. Only then the revenues would increase and the bus companies will become more sustainable. Well, points are well taken, as I mentioned. Uh, we will expect there will be some synergy, synergy generated, generated from the merger. And we expect this synergy uh, will be reinvest in raising the bus services. What you have mentioned, you just add the word modern. Bus services including modern bus services as well. And we, we, are, we have no disagreement on, on, our, on, on our opinions. Uh, Alok, we just uh, t uh, before the news also had this issue about competition, um, and uh, Ben Hong of the, uh, the public transport research team, he he, he really wanted, he, he really thought that um, bringing in and allowing more bus companies to compete at the same territory would help improve the service. You had a comment on that. Do you believe that works in Hong well, Kong? Well, I, I was born in the fifties, and I took China Motor Bus myself because at that time when I was a kid. I live on the island. I understand, you know, the quality of bus services uh, running at that time on the island uh, with only one bus company 
it's not was not very very ideal. Uh, well, that is the reason that we we introduce introduction. We have uh, more franchise first franchises uh, uh, allocated to different companies. But when we compare with the road situation, a traffic situation, 50 years ago and 60 years of, of, ago in Hong Kong, uh, the commuter relied pretty much on the bus, on living on the islands or even in Kowloon. On the islands, we have train, we have buses. Uh, on Kowloon's are new territory size, you know, we have buses, we have, we have trains. But nowadays we have MCR, very extensive uh, railway surface, it's underground surface. And we have taxis, a lot of taxis, go, uh, you know, traveling around the road. We have tram, we have bus. So we have a lot of other mode of public services uh, for the public to choose. The situation is very different from 50 or 60 years ago in, 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 in Hong Kong. So I wait, the way we look at it is, uh, even with the mergers of the new world bus and the city bus, commuters do have a lot of choices. Living, uh, living on the island, living at Kowloon side. I really hope that uh, these mergers can actually raise uh, the surface quality of buses in Hong Kong as a whole. Alok? Well, I think the competition is a bit of a misnomer in Hong Kong because mm. it's all such managed, orchestrated approach to the whole thing that government actually, transport department actually decides what amount of competitions, who can compete with who and where. And I think this, this, there is no free competition as such. So, and, and I think uh, what Stephen was just mentioning, I mean, at one hand he says that in new territories people do rely on buses and there are a lot of pockets in Hong Kong where buses are the primary means of transport. There is no other tram or ferry or whatever is available and bus is the only way. Mm. And I think what we need to do is provide minimum service guarantees and live up to that. One of the biggest problems, and I'm a bus user, regular bus user, and I can tell you, when I'm standing on the street and the bus frequency says 10 minutes and the bus doesn't come in 20 minutes, there is something seriously wrong. Nobody gets penalized for that. No, There is no you know, accountability for that not delivering that service for 10 minutes. And I think those are the kind of standards we need to build in using a modern bus service. In Singapore, if you look at, there is an excess waiting time approach. London does the same excess waiting time approach. Do we do that in Hong Kong? The answer is no. Uh, you know, so if there are a lot of things we can actually adapt and adopt from other places where we can improve the quality of bus service that we deliver on the road. I think that is really which is missing. It's not about just merger, route, fare. It's about the value for money that is provided on the street. I think that is what is needed. But, but that's the access to information, isn't it? I mean, the, um, uh, the bus companies providing up-to-date information constantly online about where the buses are uh, and uh, bus loading uh, figures for the, the taps of the octopus card. I mean, why is government not mandating on the franchise agreement that that information is public data and should be, should be streamed online constantly 24 hours yep. a day? I mean, that would help that problem, isn't it? Indeed, it would, and it completely beats me why that does, that is not made as a condition of the franchise. That all the, these data should be made in in pub, should be available in public. Let anybody and everybody put them into different apps, different formats, because the passenger needs are different. You know, a disabled person, a blind person, a wheelchair person, a woman, a old person. They all have different travel pattern, different travel preferences. Let people design apps, design interfaces 
which are customized to these individual customer needs. And that's exactly how we are going to improve the bus service. I mean, I speak to kids in school here, and they many times will tell me that, oh, bus system is too complicated. The bus system doesn't work very well. Let me just take MTR. Even when they, it involves five interchanges, they will still taking MTR because they just don't know about the bus route. Hmm. So I think information and these interfaces, which are very widely available around the world today, are some, somehow just missing in Hong Kong. We have this big piece of the puzzle where we just haven't evolved. So, Stephen, I mean, uh, Transport Advisory Committee, what can you do to make sure that the buses well, put all that data online, stream it constantly and available to anybody to, to make any apps, well, basically? Well, bus first, routes, bus availability, just where the bus is and how many people are on the bus, basically. Well, first of all, Paul's uh, comment about the complaint. Uh, the Transport Advisory Committee, we do have a subcommittee to take care of the complaint. We have a transport complaint unit. That yeah, but that's too late. That's after we, the fact. We, we, we collect uh, complaints from the public. No, but I don't want to complain. I want to improve the service. I want to make sure yeah. that the information so once, is available. Uh, once you can give opinions, you can complain, and then we look at what kind of complaints we receive, and then we, we feedback these complaints uh, to the committee, and, and via the committee, we give the feedback to the bus company too late. Uh, via the transport. But that's, Stephen, that's too late. That's after okay. the fact. And, and, and I, I'll just add also no, that no, when no, these complaints no, are made let, to TCU, let, let, let I can even me. tell the response that we are going to get from the bus company. Well, well this templates. is the first part of the response. And the second part is about the digital things. You know, I totally agree with Paul. Uh, when we had meetings, you know, years ago, uh, when I took the, the chair of the, TA, uh, the TAC, my view is about the digitized, uh, digital or digitization of the, of the transport, public transport service. I mean, these are the things that uh, happen in other cities with our, with our mobile phone, with our apps. We know which is which, when will be the next bus, whether I can get on the next bus or not, or whether the spare capacity of the next bus. The Hong Kong uh, is, well, we, we have, we do not have that kind of services yet. That's true. That's cheap but and easy think, to do. Hmm? Well, I think we are keep on advising them to see what they can do, what can do the data sharing of the city, because we're talking about the smart travel. We're talking about smart city. So these are, these are, these are things that have to, be, have to become the smart initiative, the digitization, the share of, the, share of data. I think that, that is something that we still keep on pushing for the government in, in going forward with our public transport service, not only the bus service. All right, so Professor Chung, we have to leave it here for now. Thanks again Thank for you. joining us this morning. That's uh, Professor Stephen Chung, the chairman of the Transport Advisory Committee. Many thanks also to Alok Jain, the CEO and managing director of TransConsult Limited. It's now coming up to 19 minutes past nine, and it's time for us to move on to our next topic. And it's about the latest images captured by the James Webb Telescope. So, Paul, did you manage to have a look at the images? I just had a look at the images and they are exciting. Yes, they're amazing and there's just so much detail. But, but I must admit, I, I didn't really get what the images were actually showing. Um, however, I'm sure our next guest will be able to tell us more. And he's uh, Professor Quinton Parker, the director of the University of Hong Kong Space Research Laboratory. Welcome to Back Chat, Professor Parker. 
hello. Hi, good morning. morning. Yes, and thanks for joining us on the program. So um, it it took more than 20 years of work to uh, finally uh, capture these images. Uh, In your view, was it worth the wait? (laughs) That's a loaded question. Well, um, it is a 10 billion US dollar facility. Uh, And HST, for comparison, was 2 billion when they first built it. But over its 30-year lifetime, it's cost about uh, 12 or so billion all told. So um, the James Webb Space Telescope um, has just produced its uh, first public images, and they are absolutely astonishing. Very, very high-quality images. Very, very high-quality images of... um, um, a planetary nebulae, the kind of objects I study, an incredible cluster of galaxies full of microlensed events, a spectrum of, uh, a, of an extrasolar planet that shows water vapor in the atmosphere, the best ever extrasolar... Pl- I mean, just think about that for a moment. You know, we now have the technology to look at spectroscopy in the atmosphere of a planet around another star. What Not is our that? own star, another star. Mr. Parker, what is tetroscopy? Yes. Wait, can you explain that? I mean, using terminology... Oh, tetroscopy, <laughs> sorry. That's when you, yes, sorry. Good point. It's when you split light into its constituent colours like a prism does, like, like um, you know, um, uh, Isaac Newton did centuries ago when he first showed that white light from the sun can be split up into colours of the rainbow. That's mm. what you do with spectroscopy. You split light up so you can see what's in there. And so we use spectroscopy and astronomy to understand what objects are made of, how fast they're traveling, et cetera, et cetera. So how, how is this useful other than this splendid and, and really exciting images? I mean, can we stop uh, you um, know, uh, uh, meteorites <laughs> hitting Earth or can we discover life on other planets? I mean, what can we do with these? We can what discover can we life on other planets potentially mm-hmm. uh, with this because, as I said, if once you see water vapor in the atmosphere of, uh, of planets around other stars, you can perhaps see methane, you perhaps might be able to see signatures of chlorophyll, uh, you know, from plants, etc. So we're now kind of getting into that territory as far as spectroscopy of planetary atmospheres are concerned. But so the other thing is we're looking at the detail in the near-infrared and mid-infrared of, of sources um, from the nearest to the furthest in the universe. I mean, the image of uh, the um, very cluster of galaxies, which is full. It's a rich cluster of galaxies behind it. There's lots of other galaxies. These have been lensed by the gravity of the cluster acting like a, a lens for focus and bend light. You know, gravity bends light. Einstein showed that. And so um, it's just astonishing. You know, I mean, I don't think uh, the readers can, and your listeners can look at these images and say, look, they're very beautiful. They are, but it's what the images tell you and what the spectra tell you scientifically where the value is. Now, no nation state like America or all its partners are going to spend uh, $10 billion on pretty images for the public. Now, of course, it's very important for the public to um, love those images and appreciate them and support the mission, but it's the science that you get from these images, from scientists like me and others around the world that study these images and study the spectra to understand how the universe works. Hmm. Now, we do that because we can and because it's important for humanity to understand, is there life out there? Are we alone in the universe? How is the universe made? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. This is why these sums are spent. Can I ask you, just, I know that hmm. travel take, the light takes time to travel. Uh, so that, that image that yes. we're looking at, I mean, how old is that image? Has that light been traveling for a year and, until it hit the, between the time well, of photograph? what we're looking at, yeah, exactly. So light tra- travels at a finite speed, but it's extremely fast, 186,000 miles per second. You know, so light travel time to our sun is about, um, you know, uh, I think it's um, 
eight and a half minutes um, um, to get for if the sun suddenly disappeared and the light went out. It would take us a few minutes to notice, although gravity would uh, um, also travels at the speed of light. Uh, and so um, objects which are distant in the universe, it's like a time machine, like looking back into the past. So when we're looking at this very deep image of this rich cluster of galaxies and all these galaxies lens behind it, we're looking back to the very early universe. We're talking about 13 billion years ago, nearly at the birth of the universe. We're almost getting back to that kind of timeline now. So it's like a, a really powerful time machine. So the further things are away from us, the further it longer it takes light to travel to get to us, and therefore we're looking at light that started traveling to us hundreds, thousands, millions or billions of years ago, depending on what we're looking at. So, Professor Parker, um, are those images what you had expected or, or do they exceed your expectation? Um, well, there's been simulations, because <laughs> we like to simulate things in, in astronomy, uh, of what things would look like. And in fact, you know, we know what the performance of the telescope should be in terms of its resolution and what the sensitivity of the detectors and filters and all these things are. So we can kind of guess. But just because you know what it might look like, you don't know what it actually looks like because you haven't seen it. You've only seen simulated data. So when you're looking at things for the first time, like this wonderful image of NGC 3132, which is a, a planetary nebula known as the Southern Ring Nebula, they've discovered this candidate central star in the, in the mid-infrared. Um, and it's, um, you know, it's shrouded in dust, which is not what was expected. And so this is, a, you know, so the star you see in the, in the near-infrared image is not the central star, the bright one. It's actually a companion star, which is in orbit around the, well, in which is in a binary system with the other star. And so this is very exciting. And also you see structure of the way the material was ejected uh, from the planetary nebulae uh, thousands of years ago. I mean, the planetary nebulae is basically what will happen to our sun in a few billion years. It'll eject its outer envelope and then the sun will uh, contract and uh, become a white dwarf eventually, a tiny mass compared to what it is now and, uh, you know, about the size of the Earth, but it will ionize as it heats up all that ejected material. And that's what you see with the PN. But you also see with these longer wavelengths all the dust that's been ejected and created during the lifetime of these fascinating objects. And that's the exciting thing for me, because that's what the kind of things I study. And I'm very excited to see that image myself. <laughs> and out of the images actually captured by the telescope, which one would you say was the most important? Uh, well, I think... Uh, I think there's two very, very important images. One of Stefan's quintet is uh, interesting for understanding how galaxies interact. Uh, the planetary nebula is interesting for understanding how stars evolve and die. Uh, the atmospheric um, in, in, uh, spectrum of a, of a WASP exoplanet is very exciting because it's the very first clear detection of water vapor uh, in an extrasolar planet, which is extremely interesting. But it's the deep image, which is why it was the first image, the deep image of a rich cluster of galaxies. And in that field, it goes very deep and seeing all those tiny faint blobs and they're nearly all galaxies in the distant universe. There's only a few galactic stars in that image, and they're the ones that have those kind of like star things on it. That's just diffraction spikes around the secondary mirror. But the actual fuzzy images and the images that have structure and morphology and shape, they're galaxies. And if you look at that image, you say, that's funny, a lot of those galaxies seem to be curved. They seem to be like arcs, and they're red, and they're arcs. They're gravitationally lensed background galaxies behind that great big bright galaxy in the middle of the image. But the other thing I found was very exciting is that when you look at that galaxy in the middle of the image, there's faint isophotes, faint material like streams of gas, uh, which is actually just streams of stars going out from both sides of that galaxy over much of the field. Mm. So that wasn't expected, I didn't think. 
So a really, really exciting image. Well, I, I, I urge uh, uh, listeners who uh, who are wondering what uh, what all the technical talk you're giving us, what it really means. Sorry you, you, about no, no, no. Stuff. I mean, no, I, no. It's it's totally fine. I mean, it, it's, uh, I think the only way it comes to life for people is is if they Google James Webb uh, uh, telescope or James Webb telescope images, wow. and you can Don't see. Don't just the, Google the James Webb because he was a NASA. Apparatchik and not really a scientist like Hubble for the Hubble Space Telescope. I know, but if you Google it right now, all the images will pop up on your computer screen and you can actually they see will. what we're uh, what we're talking about today. I mean, there are yeah, there's some descriptive elements as well that tell you a little bit about them. Yep, mm-hmm. they're there as well. Yeah, I did look at one of the images and I I couldn't really figure out what they were. I mean, it was just like a, a brown cloud with some um, stars in the background. I and then I I mean, the caption said it was a stellar nursery. I'm not really sure what that actually. A stellar is. nursery. Yeah, I'm not uh, sure. Yeah, that's where stars are born. You know, that's the other image of a of a molecular cloud uh, where stars are born. Uh, you know, stars live and die all the time, and they also uh, get born all the time. As uh, You know, all that stuff gets recycled as stars live and die, and it's been going through recycling for billions of years. Stars live, they die, they eject material, that material goes into, into interstellar space, but it, it stays there, and then it starts to coalesce under gravity, forms giant molecular clouds, and new stars are born again. But this time, they've been enriched with uh, elements that have been created during the star's life, heavy elements. That's where we get all our heavy elements from. Nuclear synthesis in stars and also supernova explosions. So when can, like we, when can we go and visit them? When can we go and visit these, uh, <laughs> these places? <laughs> um, well, I mean, until we break the speed light barrier, which is beyond known physics, um, then uh, not any time soon. Uh, you know, if we wanted to go to the next nearest star, it's a few light years away. We'd have to travel at a big fraction of the speed of light to get there in a human lifetime. Okay, Buzz Lightyear. So yes, close this, star is, to us. this is so, all you really... Know, when you talk about stars 13 billion light years away, okay. well, you know, who knows what we would have evolved into by then. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. This is all really interesting, Professor Parker, but I'm, fra- I'm afraid we're out of time. Thanks again for joining us this okay. morning. That's uh, Professor Quentin oh, Parker, cool. the director of the University of Hong Kong's Space Research Laboratory. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and also to my co-host, Paul Zimmerman, and my producer, Yuki. Now, here's the weather before we go. It will be mainly fine apart from isolated showers. The very hot weather warning is in force and the top temperature today will be around 34 degrees. Winds light to moderate southeasterlies. And the outlook, a few showers on Friday and Saturday. 30 degrees at the moment, relative humidity 74%. This quarter's demand notes for rates and government rent have been posted. The rates concession has already been reflected. There is no concession for government rent. Remember to pay by July 29th or you'll have to pay a surcharge. If you haven't received the demand note, please call the Rating and Valuation Department's Inquiry Hotline on 2152-0111. To receive the bill in a convenient and environmentally friendly way, register for the ERVD bill service at the department's website. It's 9.30, the news with Andrew Shirovsky. Thank you, Janice. A patient's concern group says hundreds of